codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 320 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report on all things Star Trek. Recorded live on Thursday, June 1st, 2017, and available for download or streaming on Monday, June 5th at PriorityOnePodcast.com or Podcasts.Roddenberry.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Tony. And in the audio booth is our audio engineer, Winter. Hola, everyone. Now, before we start, I want to say a big hello to our new listeners that have found us through the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Welcome to the show, and we hope that you actively participate in the conversations from week to week via Facebook, Twitter, email, you name it. But we'll get more into that later. Tony, why don't you tell us what we've got coming up this week? Well, we're trekking out what we know so far about the directors of Star Trek Discovery and how much of Harry Mudd we're apparently going to see. In Star Trek Gaming News this week, our graphic artist Henry is here to tell us all about his experiences with Star Trek Bridge Crew VR. Then for Star Trek Online, we're looking ahead to the summer event on Ryza. And later, we're interviewing content designer Ryan Levitt about his work in the game. And of course, as always, before we wrap up the show, we're opening hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captain, so I mentioned earlier that we'd love to keep the conversation going with you between our episodes from week to week. So please, please, please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Thanks again to all of our Patreon supporters that make this show possible from week to week. Because of your support, the servers stay on, the power keeps flowing, and the team keeps producing. Please help us improve the show by considering a financial contribution via our Patreon page at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Captains, if you can't contribute financially, there are other ways that you can support the show. For instance leaving us a review on iTunes. So please, Captains, if you have the opportunity, stop by the iTunes store and leave us a review. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. In the most recent issue of Star Trek magazine, writer Ian Spelling breaks down what we know thus far of the cast and characters of Star Trek Discovery. Honestly, though... What intrigues me the most is the breakdown of creatives working behind the scenes. For starters, if you visit IMDb, the episode breakdowns are not the traditional episode 1, 2, 3. Instead, they start with the pilot 1.1, then later 1.2, 0.3, etc., etc. So with all this debate about whether or not this is in fact an anthology... No, it's not. Yes, it is. Maybe it will be. It kind of sort of is. Who knows? The numbering might be a good indication that the second season could very well be a whole new story with a whole new cast. Again, that's really just speculation. Now, the other interesting tidbit is that we're starting to discover who our directors have been for this season. 
For the pilot episode, veteran director David Semmel will set the tone of what we can expect from Discovery throughout the season. Semmel is a seasoned director with a long list of credits to his name on IMDb, more notably The Man in the High Castle, American Horror Story, and Heroes. Up next in episode 1.2 is Adam Kane, another director with some serious creds, including blockbuster television series like Supergirl, Daredevil, Heroes, and more recently, American Gods. Episode 1.3 was directed by the controversial Akiva Goldsman, who is also on as a writing credit for the series. He's controversial because despite his Academy Award for the film American Beauty, he's also the guy that brought us such films as Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. However, in his defense, he did write for the television series Fringe. Well, in any event, he's the least experienced director. And lastly, the only woman of the bunch thus far is Lee Rose, slated as the director for episode 1.5. No, you're not mistaken, nothing was announced yet for 1.4. She's a veteran director as well, with several television directorial credits under her belt, but nothing really stands out, other than maybe an episode of True Blood. Now, I want to take a moment and spotlight some other names, including Emmy Award winner Colin Penman, who seems to be leading the makeup department. This guy's done some serious work on makeup-intensive projects like American Gods, The Strain, Defiance, and the film Pacific Rim. I wanted to point out the fact that um, Akiva Goldsman with Batman Forever and Batman Robin, I love both of those films. I know that people hate them. I think I think one or the other of those was the was the nipple suit version of Batman. Yes, both. But I I absolutely loved Batman and Robin. I absolutely adored it. So, yay. I liked Batman Forever more than I liked Batman. Batman and Robin is widely derided as one of the absolute worst superhero movies of all time. Batman Forever yes, is yes, yes, yes. I mean, in terms of these directors, I mean, these are obviously seasoned people, right? These people have had some quality experience. Now, I'm a big fan of Heroes, um, and I'm I'm a big fan of American Gods. If you have read the book, I strongly recommend that you start watching this series. Is that the series led by veteran showrunner Brian Fuller? As a matter of fact, Tony, it is. Ah. I just said this on the supplemental episode of Mission Log Podcast Mm. that after having just read American Gods and watching the first four episodes, Brian Fuller and his team have done a phenomenal job at keeping the essence of the book alive. Yeah, they've had to take some liberties. But they're not sacrificing the story, nor are they sacrificing the essence of the book. And it makes me jealous. It makes me (laughs) jealous that we lost him in Star Trek Discovery because I think that Brian Fuller, being a Star Trek fan, he would have been phenomenal leading leading this new endeavor. What you're saying is the guy can be faithful to the source material. Yes, yes. I think that Star Trek Discovery, in terms of directors, is is coming out of the gates pretty strongly with someone like David Semmel um, with the pilot, Adam Kane with the second episode. You know, it's either going to stay high or it's going to stay high and then dip really low with Akiva doing the third episode. We don't. Uh, it's not clear who's doing the fourth episode. And Lee Rose, although she has some serious creds underneath her, it's nothing notable. It's nothing that that calls out to me other than her true blood credit. Yeah, honestly, by the third, uh, I think we, I might have mentioned this on some of the previous ones, by the third or fourth episode, we're going to know. I mean, we're kind of, we're going to kind of know. Right, that's true, that's true. Whether whether they've got something going or if it's, if it's, if they've got it right. 
You know what? I, you know, I'm thinking of a of a series like Sense Eight on Netflix that had a really slow, slow beginning. By the end of the first season in Sense Eight, you 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 almost were like sucked in you somehow. In you yeah. were just drawn in to this 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 plot and these characters, even though. In reality, that the series was a little kind of underdeveloped and a little it just it had a very slow start. But by the end of the first season, you were you were really sucked in. Um, I'm having a hard time getting drawn into the second season. I don't know that it can it can sustain th- what what happened in the first season. But Kenna, you have some breaking news about. Oh Sensei. yeah, I just read today that it was canceled. So after the second season, it's 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 no longer sadly. Which is bad because Tony, you mentioned backstage. Yeah, I, we've said we've said this. Uh, no, we've said this on, on uh, tons of times. Every Star Trek show, you know, post TOS has needed a couple seasons to figure themselves out. Next Generation didn't get real good until the third season on a consistent basis. There were some winners right, in the first right, two seasons, right. but it was real hit or miss. DS9 until the Dominion War kind of got rolling. It was it was it was hit or miss. Voyager really didn't find its legs until you know arguably the third season or so. I mean, and Enterprise. Sorry, Enterprise wasn't good till the fourth season, as far as I'm concerned. Um, right. So I mean, right, right. It, it, it takes a while for a Star Trek show to find its bearings. And now here's the problem: is that if CBS is thinking in that mindset that oh it's okay we we've got we've got one or two seasons to figure this out. They are horribly mistaken. Horribly mistaken. No, I don't think CBS is under that impression. I think CBS is like, uh, this either works or all access is kind of screwed. I, mm. I, I mean, I, really, yeah. I think yeah. this is, right. they're either counting on Star Trek to deliver all access subscriptions or that entire uh, experiment may get flushed down the tubes. So I, I bet they get two seasons. I bet they get two to, to make it work out. So lastly, Trek Movie is reporting that according to the July issue of the official Star Trek magazine, Rain Wilson is slated to appear in multiple episodes of Discovery. And so whilst digging into the work of all those creatives mentioned above, lo and behold, he's listed as being in nine episodes. Nine. What the crap is Mud doing in nine episodes? There's only 15 there's only 15 episodes, and Harry Mudd's going to be in nine of them? Let me, let me introduce you to our new helmsman, Lieutenant Harcourt Fenton Mudd of the Starship Ugh. Discovery. I'm not sure how I feel about this. They've got something I, planned. I mean, I, you're not going to get a guy like Green uh, Wilson, and, you know, he's, he's a recognizable figure. He's got nerd cred. You know, he's, they're going to use him to the fullest extent they can. Here's what's going to happen. You, know, you remember that scene in the trailer where the Klingon throws out the Batleth? And she gets ready to fight, and they're they're on this weird structure. Yeah, Mud's gonna come in like, "Hey, what are you guys fighting about?" <laughs> no, I really hope that's not the case. Yeah, no, yeah, no. It's time to move on to this week in Star Trek Online news. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, welcome once again to Stow News, where today we're actually going to start with news of the non-Star Trek Online kind. 
Part of that is about leaving the best for last. We're talking later about the upcoming summer event, and we've got an interview with content designer Ryan Levitt, which I think you'll really enjoy. But first, we've been talking about Star Trek Bridge Crew VR for almost a year, and it was finally released last week to much rejoicing amongst VR geeks. Now, this is what Ubisoft have termed a AAA game for VR and highly anticipated, so it's kind of a big deal. Now, most of us here have been lamenting the fact that we will probably never get to play it because of that high cost barrier to entry. But one of our team members has actually played it. So please welcome to the show our graphic artist, Henry, a.k.a. Romulan Ale, a.k.a. also one of those guys who turns up on our sister show, Guard Frequency, every so often. Hi, Henry. How are you? Hi, everybody. It's good to be here. I'm glad to be on Priority One. You don't get double pay. (laughs) I want to make that clear right up front. Wait a minute. He gets paid at all? Oh, wait. I I am getting Hmm. double, double nothing. Double yeah. donuts. <laughs> Double high fives. So, Henry, you've actually been playing Bridge Crew VR. A lot. About 27 hours since it came out. I played overnight the Holy first moly. night. I couldn't put it down. There were so many people on playing between Xbox, PlayStation, uh, or I'm sorry, PlayStation VR, and uh, Vive and Oculus. The queues were just so fast, and you got a new group really fast, and there were, there was just a lot of people playing. Tell us overall your first impressions. Do you like it? Is it fun? I love it. It's fantastic. People are calling it a button-pressing simulator, and they're not understanding that's a good thing. Like, it's a lot of fun. It's very Star Trek to sit on that bridge, even though it's Kelvin timeline. It just feels so Star Trek. One of my favorite parts, I think, is that uh, all, the, all the missions aren't completely uh, combat-oriented, so you get to do a lot of things like rescue and things like that. Missions that feel more Star Trek. It's not just go here, blow this up, go there, blow that up. Um, and it really reinforces teamwork because you're all working together on the multiplayer. So that's really the things that I love most about it is that teamwork. Uh, it's multiplayer in a way I've never seen it, um, except maybe in Artemis. But uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a great game. Can you give us an example of, of maybe one of the missions? What's What kind of thing are you doing? Sure. Um, so, yeah, an example of a mission. Um, I'm not going to talk about any of the story missions because there are only five story missions, uh, which for a AAA game is kind of a disappointment. Uh, but the, the secondary game mode is an ongoing voyages mission, which randomly generates uh, missions that are similar in that you'll go someplace, you'll scan something or fight something, and then come back. But they're they're random enough that you're always going to different locations uh there are different npcs who are voice acted uh which is amazing because you'll run into uh, another ship and the captain will be on screen talking to you um and he'll say different things you know in different missions sometimes he'll uh, use different parts of a conversation he's used before but it mixes them up nice and it keeps it fresh i've played a ton of them and they're always fresh uh one of my favorites is uh there's uh, one where you have to find an uh, individual who is a fugitive and who is missing, and you'll have to go from area to area within a system scanning targets, trying to find him, and then have to disable it, lower their shields, and beam him out, hopefully without hurting anybody else. And then you've got to bring him back to Starbase and, and finish the mission. One of the first things I wanted to talk about was, what is it like to play? So I'm talking about the mechanics. How do you play it? Is it easy? Is it is it straightforward to pick up? And how much help do they give you when you start? When you first log in, uh, you have an option to jump right into a game, which I would not recommend. You want to go through the tutorials in single player. Uh, the tutorials basically amount to uh, you sitting in a holodeck, um, and you'll you'll go from station to station and they'll give you an exercise that shows you how to use each console. Each console only has a limited number of functions, so you're not 
trying to run the whole ship from each console. You know, when you're at the engineering console, you're basically just routing power and things like that and making sure that the other players have what they need, the resources they need to fire phasers when they need to or to move fast enough and far enough when they need to. Um, so you go through those tutorials, and by the end of that, you have kind of a broad understanding of what's going on, but you've also learned how to use the help tools, uh, which bring up uh, labels for all your buttons and explanations right there in the VR environment. So, you know, everything's got a label on it that explains explicitly what it does. And because the stations are pretty limited, it's not too difficult to pick up. Um, groups that I was teaming with, we were succeeding in missions and failing in missions on the first run with people. It's kind of 50-50. Um, but everybody seemed to be picking it up really well. Um, I didn't I didn't meet anybody that had problems with it, except on the original Series Enterprise, which we should talk about. Well, uh, why don't we go ahead and talk about this issue of teaming up, because we, we've kind of skirted around it um, several times already in this brief conversation. You said right at the beginning something that is very, very cool to me, which is that you can play with people across different platforms. So you're playing with people on PlayStation VR, HTC Vive, and Oculus Rift. So it is not independent to the platform. No, there's crossover, and the the voice communication is built into the game also and cross-platform. So people, you know, the, a mission will start, and you're all in the ready room on the Aegis, or, or maybe it's a conference room. It's behind the bridge, and there's this nice... A uh, glass wall in front of you so you can see out over the back of the ship and see the nacelles and then behind you is a glass case with the gold starships in it that we're familiar with from the ready rooms and the conference rooms on the shows um, and then four people beam in all around the table and you guys choose your positions uh, everybody says what platform they're on it's one of the first things that come up and everybody is uh, you know there's not a lot of um, like brand loyalty, nobody's like, oh, I'm on a Vive, I'm on a PlayStation, it's better. There's just none of that. It's just a lot of fun. Um, and, and we're all sharing the same game across multiple platforms. It's cool how it brings those gamers together. Uh, I want to interject here for a second. So people beam in. What is the customization like for your avatar, if at it's all? It's limited. There are limited options. You choose your gender. You can choose from a few preset skin tones uh, and a few head styles. But it's not nearly as involved as something like Star Trek Online where you can basically make any face, any figure. All right, and so now when you are around the table, right, or when you are about to join a pickup group, right, which is a familiar term if you have been playing Star Trek Online for a while, are you? do you go into the game or the pickup group saying, okay, I want to be tactical, I want to be captain, I want to be whatever, or does it randomly assign it to Actually, you. when you beam in, your console is blank and all the options are available, so it's first come, first serve for each position. Um, oh, so you have to act yeah, fast. Yeah, but honestly, there's there's so much discussion when it starts. People aren't usually grabbing a position. Almost all the time they're saying, hey, I'd like to do this, I've done this, or I haven't done that, I'm really good at this one. So people are finding their roles, um, which is really interesting. You know, I really enjoyed playing uh, The Helm, I don't really like playing tactical as much because I'm not I'm not so into the combat, um, but I really enjoy you know flying the ship and I like playing captain quite a bit. Uh, captaining is a lot of fun, although it, I have to say the first time you captain it's intimidating. Uh, it's it seems silly. I know it's a game, but you've got three other players that are depending on you to make the right decision, and they're very very intently focused on what you're telling them to do. It's amazing how serious groups tend to get once things start heating up. 
and the working together is amazing. You see, this is why this is why I want to buy the game because like last week's show, yo soy el capitán y yo quiero jugar este juego. I want to talk a little bit about the community. So you've engaged with a community of players that have invested the time and month the money into having some sort of a of a virtual reality rig. You've also played Star Trek Online. You've played other MMOs too. You know, what is your experience with the community? Is there any big comparison that you can have to something like Star Trek Online or, or, or Star Citizen when you're engaging with, with random pickup groups? I don't think so, because here you can team with friends and you may go on missions with friends, but the, the missions are relatively short. Some of them, you might be on a mission for an hour. Sometimes you might be on it for 15 minutes. So most of the missions are on the shorter side. Um, and you're you're spending a limited time with a group, and you're not really interacting beyond uh, the mission at hand. There's no like customizing your ship or upgrading or anything like that, or building a fleet like you have in Star Trek Online. Um, so it's more of a hey, we're all going to play this game together for a few minutes, and then we may team up again later. But the the main campaign is so short, you don't really have time to build that kind of camaraderie as you go through the campaign. Uh, whereas with games like Star Trek Online, there's so much mission content, you can play through that a ton of times with your fleet mates and by yourself. Um, what is an average mission session? On average, it, it depends on what you do. I, I try to play more stealthy, and I will be I will take a lot more time on a mission than a lot of people. But you can do a run in 15 minutes, half an hour, sometimes longer. Um, on average, I say it's probably about a half an hour. So can I just pick up on something that you actually mentioned before the show in our in our chat hangouts? You said something about that it really the game really encouraged people to work together because the 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 consoles were very simple as you said, but then also each individual person can't really do that much on their own. Yeah, that's a good point. Um in in single player in single player you can kind of do everything because you can jump from console to console. But you also have NPCs that you can order from your station as the captain. But when you're working together, you're stuck at a single console. So when it's time to uh, engage a target, the helmsman has to bring us closer. The tactical officer has to target and fire them. And the engineer has to make sure that the uh, helmsman has power while we're moving. And that power switches to phasers when it's time to fire. So those three people have to communicate in order to hit one target. And the captain has to be willing to say, we're going to engage this target and then kind of step back and let Helm and Tactical talk about what they have to do to make that happen. You know, Tactical has to say, I want to approach from this side or that side. Or uh, he'll say, I want to come from the left so that there, there's two ships on our right instead of splitting between them. Um, and, and the engineer has to be paying attention to what everyone else is doing so that they can kind of allocate resources without being asked. Um, as often as possible. So the teamwork, really, you, if if someone falls asleep at their console, there's going to be no progress. Everyone else is not going to be able to progress. Um, now, I, I did have that happen in a single match. We had a player disconnect, and his character was just static for several minutes. We weren't in combat at the time. We were, you know, in, in transit to another location. But... Um, you know, he didn't come back when we were getting to where we were going, so we had to actually kick him and get a replacement player. And I think it put an AI player in uh, to the match until someone joined it. But, you know, when someone's not at their station, it definitely halts the game. You have to work together. Yeah, still, it's pretty, like, accurate, I suppose. As accurate as it can be for a fictional 
thing. But yeah, that that actually sounds really, really cool. The thing that that I think does is everything feels more important. When you load torpedoes in Star Trek Online, you're basically clicking a button that's saying arm those torpedoes. You're right-clicking it to auto-fire. <laughs> I'm hitting space when you yeah. <laughs> When you load your torpedoes in Bridge Crew, you're you know allocating power to that system, and then you're loading each of the two tubes. And you have to wait for that to happen. And you get the sense that people are picking up this torpedo and cramming it in the tube and locking the bolt behind it like they were in, in the motion picture. Um, or in, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, The Wrath of Khan. You know, you get the sense that there are people there doing things. And it's not just the four of you on the bridge. You have NPC crew that are doing things on the bridge in addition to the four people you're playing with. You have a comms officer that's constantly talking to you and giving you info. You have a science officer that gives you info. And then you have several red shirts, which I completely appreciate them, including in the game, who just make idle chatter and banter. But then once things get uh, start getting damaged, they're the ones that get blown up and thrown over the rail on the original <laughs> series bridge. Awesome. And, and they nice. get beamed out after, you, you know, you go to warp out and your dead brute crewmen get beamed out or beamed to sickbay. It's, it's incredible the ambiance that those NPCs add and just their chatter. You know, you're talking to your officers and you're also listening to these NPCs that are giving you verbal orders. And that's the only way you get them. You know, you have to be paying attention to so much uh, so much voice. This is the only game I don't listen to music to while I'm playing because you're so involved in all the conversation that's going on. It's it's really immersive. Okay, so I, I have to ask the big question. So you can play on the TOS Enterprise. Absolutely. Just describe what it's like being a captain on... Not the gumdrop buttons! <laughs> yeah, on the gumdrop Those buttons. Those buttons like, intimidate what? everyone. You get on that bridge and <laughs> nothing has a label. It's just a black console with the little glowing buttons. But once you've played the main game, you kind of know how things work already. And while the Constitution, uh, it's actually the Enterprise, you know, the original series Enterprise. While, while you're on that ship, you have a few different uh, differences in your abilities. It's not quite as advanced. You don't have your um, electronic warfare. You can't interfere with someone's systems remotely like you can on the Aegis. But sitting on that bridge, once you learn the buttons, you can you, you work on that bridge the same way you can the other. Now, just sitting there as a fan, being on that bridge in VR... It's really cool. I mean, I've been to the set. I've been to Vegas. I've been to New York where they have the set, and they have the original series set all set up in this nice dark room in Vegas. Um, and you can look in there and see from the perspective the cameras would have been at when they filmed it. And you can look onto the bridge and see all this great stuff. And the, the, the audio is playing that ambient Star Trek background uh, noise, you know, the bridge chatter. When that... that just being there gives me a feeling, just kind of uh, chills, you know, it's very cool. Being in the captain's chair in VR, you get the same thing, but there's no fourth wall to break. You know, you look around you, the door is behind you. You look to the left, you've got your uh, engineering station, and to the right, you've got your science officers. You've got your crew in front of you, and the bridge viewer is this tiny thing in front of the screen that is so hard to use and look at. Um, you're... you're uh, console as the captain you pick up a clipboard you physically reach over with your right hand and pick up a clipboard like Kirk would have been seen with on the bridge one of those like four inch thick iPad type clipboards and you do all your work on that with push buttons to change targets you know it's not even a touch screen you're changing targets with push buttons and knobs um, and all this stuff is done with your hands in VR it's amazing 
the ambience on that bridge, it's it's really, really something. And just one final question, because the, the one thing that we haven't actually asked about is, you know, and maybe this is a thing totally of the past, but how how do you feel after you're playing it? So you, you're not getting any of that, that, that sickness? Like, how long can you go in one session? Actually, motion sickness in VR usually comes from a low frame rate, and we get none of that in Bridge Crew. I'm on a 1070. So you can just play it. Yeah, and nobody's getting um, any problems. I, I haven't heard about anybody having problems, and I've been playing long sessions. I play long sessions in Elite Dangerous for guard frequency all the time, um, you know, because I'm on that show, and I, I play a lot of Elite in VR. And I don't get motion sickness in there either, you know, and that has a slightly lower frame rate, but the performance is nowhere near what Bridge Crew is. Bridge Crew runs, like, smooth, um, because it's made for consoles to be smooth on consoles. So you see that. You don't have graphics options like you do on standard PC games. You know, you turn it on and it runs. It's going to run at the same settings as on PlayStation 4. You can't make it look better on the PC, but it's going to run smooth and it's going to work. So you get the benefit that you get from a PC title that's pre-configured like that, but you lose some of the customization. Yeah, when I when I had experienced it too at Mission New York, it was for that one session. But I I when I took off the headset, I didn't feel disoriented. As a matter of fact, I have like an upgrade to Google Cardboard. So with my Pixel XL, I'll do every once in a while. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm bored. Let me try something. The technology has changed significantly from the 90s, where even on your smartphone, you you can you can spend a significant amount of time doing some type of immersive experience and not feel that that nauseous motion sickness experience that we used to have in the 90s, where the frame rate was like 12. So basically, Henry, what I'm hearing from you uh, is that you liked it. Oh yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. I've played. I haven't played anything else since it came out. It came out on Tuesday, but you know, I haven't honestly played many uh, traditional games since I got VR. I've been in VR almost exclusively, except into Star Trek Online here and there. Um, but mostly, it's VR games, and and this one definitely is one of the best VR games I've played. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And you're like our man on the ground with the VR technology. VR, we yeah. really appreciate it because, you know, you're, you're, you're it. <laughs> None of the rest of us are quite there yet. So really appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Well, again, thank you, Henry, for stopping by. We've also got some more news regarding Star Trek Bridge Crew VR because during the month of June, everyone who buys a new HTC Vive headset will also receive a promotional code for a free download of Star Trek Bridge Crew VR. The bundle was announced in a tweet from HTC Vive, quote, Don't be a red shirt. Every at HTC Vive purchase, starting today, receives a bundle copy of hashtag Star Trek Bridge Crew, end quote. In addition to those tweets, people were replying asking whether or not if they bought the HTC Vive through Amazon, if they would also get the code. It seems that HTC will honor that in some way. Yeah, but... Come on. Well, okay, so we were talking in the chat earlier. The HTC Vive is so expensive that really your <laughs> the copy of Bridge Crew is very small by comparison. So they ought to. Speaking of, let's let's go ahead and talk a little bit about what the minimum system requirements are for for Star Trek Bridge Crew. Now, on the PC, at the very least, you need to invest in an HTC Vive, which will cost you eight hundred dollars. 
or an Oculus Rift, which will cost you five hundred dollars. The base model, yeah, without the funky touch controllers. So that's like the base model of Oculus. Of Oculus, the HTC Vive at eight hundred dollars does include ear attachments along with the actual handheld controllers. Now you'll need a Windows machine running anything between Windows Seven and Windows Ten. Uh, at minimum, an Intel i5. 4590 processor or an AMD FX 8350. These start at about 125 or, or better. At least four gigs of RAM. Most standard machines will come with that. Now here's where things get tricky. At the very least, you need an NVIDIA GeForce GTX 970 or an AMD Radeon R9 290 or better. That's at least $200. Now, if you were to price all these pieces together, you're looking at a machine, at base minimum, a machine that's going to be over $1,000. Kenna, when you did this, did you include the motherboard and and No, no, no. I was, assu- I was assuming you have a PC already if you're a PC gamer, but this is what you would need to upgrade to. So, like, I didn't include the price of Windows, for instance. But, you know, and to be fair, some people might already have a processor that's that good. I was looking at the, the FX 8350 AMD processor a while back. Just for an upgrade. I haven't done it yet because I'm cheap. But, you know, you might already have that. You probably already have the RAM. Unless you're already a gamer, you probably don't have a GTX 970 graphics card. <laughs> you probably don't already have the, the, the Vive or the Oculus Rift. So th- those things are going to add up really, really quickly. And especially if you're somebody who's coming from uh, a Star Trek Online background. And my, I mean, I <laughs> I literally built my machine to play Star Trek Online. That was several years ago now. But you actually don't need that much in order to play Star Trek Online. So I've got a GeForce GT 970. Uh, it's got two gigs of RAM on it. It's fine. I think my processor is an AMD 4350, so it's a it's a quad core um, that does Star Trek Online on the best settings, but it, it gets nowhere near Bridge Crew, and I'd have to lay a whole lot more money into my computer to get it ready for that. Now, I will upgrade at some point, but I'm not going to spend a grand on it. I'm just not. Now, here's the thing: it turns out that our social media manager Jake uh, found out that Artemis has hit the Steam store. Uh, so we're going to do some research in on this, but Artemis is, in fact, the poor man's Star Trek. I take exception VR. to that description of Artemis. Really? Artemis has been around for a long time, and, I, and I've played it, and it's, it's every bit as fun as Henry's talking about Bridge, bridge Crew. It's just the graphics aren't so good. Is it every bit as fun because of who yes. you're playing with? That's exactly what it is. It's a social experience, and it's with a it's a bunch of people, and and you are all working together to get to get stuff accomplished. Right, but the thing about Bridge Crew is that it's also really beautiful. So even if you don't have a fun experience, you're still in a beautiful environment that you can turn well, yeah, your but, head but, and but again, we're talking about this virtual yeah, yeah, but what reality. we're talking about is the bang for the buck on the beauty thing. That's there you go. There's a different. There's a different show title for us. The bang for the buck for the beauty. All right. So, it you know the the, the alternative is you can call it the poor man's bridge crew. But what it is is it's a more accessible, IP free, bridge crew, and that's and that's really where you're coming down. You're paying for the IP. You're paying for the gee whiz factor of the new technology. Now people at HTC think that uh, this is going to shift a few more units, as, as Ken and I were talking about earlier on the chat. Clearly, HTC sees this as a winner. People who are on the fence about getting VR might get off the fence 
and plunk down 800 bucks uh, because they have this little coupon. That's great. People who are not on the fence about VR are not going to be moved to the fence by this, clearly. It's just not, not going to happen. And people like Henry who have already invested in VR are not going to have any trouble at all plunking down 60 bucks for you know the exciting Star Trek IP uh, and, and the immersive experience about being on the bridge of the Enterprise. So it, it, this, is, this, is a, this is a get-off-the-fence maneuver more than anything else. Well, and it's really key, I think, for Ubisoft because this is a social game. I mean, they build it as straight off the bat. It's a social game. They need a critical mass of of players in order to to get it going. Because, it, I mean, it's the same problem we were talking about in Star Trek Online. When the queues are dead, why would you play it? If nobody's playing Star Trek Bridge Crew, then nobody's going to play it. So they this is a way for them, really, to get people into the game online, playing it, and getting the full experience. I hate to say it, but I think that Bridge Crew VR is going to experience the same excitement peak and cliff drop-off that Pokemon Go experienced last summer. I think that people who have, who have invested in VR, either, like Tony said, were on the fence and did, and then it's going to completely die out. I, my, the th- my, if the prices don't drop sooner... On the VR hardware, what we're going to see is what happened to 3D television, where 3D television prices didn't drop in time for consumers to catch up and want to invest in that type of experience. And so now 3D television is – nobody cares about 3D television. What they want is 4K, right? They want 4K and they want a smart television. The moment, the moment passed when manufacturers didn't – meet with consumer pricing expectations. If the prices don't drop on things like the HTC Vive or the Oculus Rift, it, we're gonna, you're going to see a significant drop on gaming engagement on titles like Star Trek Bridge Crew VR. You're going to ha- experience something like you experienced in Star Trek Online with something like the Qs. Those prices need to drop and drop fast if they want to, to keep this arc yeah. sustained. And, and you see that with like the history of other tech, VCRs, DVD players, CD players even back, you want to reach back uh, that far. I mean, it's until the until the, the, the unit price of those things dropped, the, the take-up was minimal. I don't think, I, I don't think, and I don't think that the companies think, I don't think Ubisoft or HTC, HTC think that Star Trek Bridge Crew VR is like enough of a killer app that they're going to see a huge uptick. I think it'll take care of some fence sitters. I think they'll get some people to, to, to commit when maybe they haven't before. But it's just uh, that it's just too big of an ask. The, the, the coupon value, if you will, of that game is less than 10% of the purchase price. I don't that's 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 not a that's not a thing. That's not a doorbuster. Uh, that's that's a uh, OK. Uh, and it gets you off the fence. But I do think uh, and I know we got to probably move on from this, but I do think that if there was an, a killer app that could get something moving, it probably would be Star Trek. And I think that if um, if there is any legs to this game, that they'll need to come out with things like mission packs. They need to come out. They need to extend that story, right? Well, there's the infrastructure for that. So I've, I'm hopeful that they will carry that on and do something episodic like they do with Star Trek Online. That kind of thing would keep people coming back. I'm going to piss off a lot of people right now and say no. If the killer app would be if they did something like a Star Wars X-Wing. 
Oh, Star oh, Wars. Oh, X-Men. Elijah. Oh, oh, I declare. Bush, I have I the vapors. No, 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 he's right. I know, no, I know. I know. I know. It, but the, the fact of the matter is, is that if 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 Disney ended up publishing an X-wing VR game, then you're talking about the fence sitters crossing over and paying the eight hundred, five hundred dollars to play this game. Like, what was that? What was that? What was that movie uh, or the the one N sixty four game Battlefront? Man, imagine playing Battlefront. You know, upgraded to VR where you're in an X wing and you gotta you gotta take down an uh, yeah, an. Well, we know that we know that that format works because Elite Dangerous. The people that play Elite Dangerous in VR are absolute disciples. They will evangelize playing in that three D immersive environment in the cockpit of a ship. You already have your hands on a throttle and a, and a joystick, and you don't have to. You don't have to. Your hands are already there. It's just all natural. It just feels right. So yeah, we, that that would be the killer app here, right? And because Elijah wants me to have the last word, I want to remind everybody that Star Trek Bridge Crew VR is now available for the HTC Vive, the Oculus Rift, and the PlayStation VR experience. Now let's move on to Star Trek Online news, where the summer event is nearly upon us. Well, that's right. It's just been announced. The summer event on Ryza is back on, starting on Thursday, June 8th, on both PC and console. Players on both platforms will get to participate in the dance contest, powerboard races, horgon hunt, and more through the end of July. Participating in events will earn you currency that lets you buy prizes including swimming costumes, powerboards, floaters, training manuals, and my personal favorite, caracals. Aww. Uh, PC players can also complete the daily challenge to earn the 2017 Lolanot prize vouchers, which you can save up to earn a Tier 6 Vorgon Rincoden carrier, while console players can earn the Tier 6 Vorgon Xiphius heavy escort. Now, this is one of the best events of the year, so get your bikini on, grab a Ryzean Mai Tai, and get ready to relax on the sunny shores of Ryza. Once again, the event runs June 8th through July 20th. I don't have a bikini. And the world is well, grateful. Yes. Actually, you can't buy one, can you? If you're if you're like male, although you can get a Gordon a bikini, can't you? No, you can't. They can only use the male costume parts. We That's had a this. Shame. I, cook, it wasn't a cookie, and Al had this argument a long time ago. Yes. Probably. I think so. Yes, it's bringing yes. back memories. If it had to do with bikinis, <laughs> Cookie would have had that argument with somebody. Yes, that's correct. I, I didn't mention uh, before, but there's actually there's a new uh, event going on in the PC version, which is a biathlon event, which sounds kind of interesting. It's a combination power board and floaters race it wasn't very clear whether that was going to be the the daily event or not but that should be interesting no i doubt it no it should I, be just, the, it's, the, just the usual it's just like floater. the power board race the, no 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 the usual floater event will most likely be the daily for the ship the, the same okay yeah. and i did want to point out so it's basically going to be more or less the same on PC and console, but like we saw with the winter event and the anniversary event, basically the console is getting the 2016 version of the summer event. Um, I mean, this is so cool for console players because the Ryza event is probably my favorite event of the entire year, and it's the first time because we didn't have console this time last year, if you remember. So this is the first time they've ever seen it, so it's going to be fun. But if, if you're wondering why everything says 2016, th- that's why. It's because you're getting last year's event. But that's that's good. I'll tell you one thing that I'm uh, actually a little bit disappointed in is that we're getting another Vorgon ship. I was so hoping that we get a Ferengi ship this year. Oh, 
yeah. Summer Event 17, Vorgons and Horgons. <laughs> brought to you by Josh. <laughs> but you know the way the winter event always has a brain ship and it makes sense. I think it would be really cool if the summer event was, you know, Ferengi ships because it's the Lobby Consortium uh, that always runs the event. And I was kind of hoping that they were going to go back to doing a Ferengi ship. But if I remember correctly, we are still in a story arc where Vorgons are more relevant than Ferengis. So technically, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with... Okay, these are always relevant. relevant. (laughs) Fine. No, but uh, because if you remember, the Vorgons were the ones that were involved in Captain's Holiday, and they were the the Toxu Tot, and they were where we first met Ambassador Kumarke. So I'm I'm okay with it still being the Vorgons. There's still a lot more Ferengi stuff in Star Trek compared to Vorgons. They were in one episode of TNG. That was it. And... The Ferengi rock. I mean, there's very little Ferengi content in the game, apart from a couple of ships. Keep on giving us some more ships. Hashtag play Ferengi. <laughs> hashtag play Ferengi. We haven't had that hashtag in ages. Yes. Throwback to a uh, little shout out to Aaron Eisenberg. One thing I wanted to really complain, well, not complain about, but I'm really, really sad about is I know we talked about it before, but there's going to be no day night cycle. There's no fireworks. I was about to say that. I, I was know. about to say that that I I don't care about the summer event anymore because I can't enjoy an evening frolic on Rise. I know there's no beachfront bonfire. There's where's Pavel now? You know. And, and you know, and, let, and let's be real here for a minute. We all know the Rise gets so much better after sundown. Oh if yeah. There's anything that yeah, if there's anything that any Riza uh, show <laughs> ever taught us, it's that you know that's when you get kidnapped and thrown into the basement if you're Trip and uh, uh, Malcolm. You know that's when that's when the secret agents come out if you're Captain Picard. Okay, I mean after dark, Riza is where it's at. This whole daytime Riza, nothing. I mean, there's, it holds no interest. Well, that brings us to this week's community question. What's your favorite part of the summer event on Ryza? There's been a change to the amount of energy credits that players are allowed to save and use to pay for items on the exchange. Announced in the patch notes for this week, the change is largely an increase in all the limits for your characters, your account bank, and exchange listings. A recap of the changes. If you purchased the energy credit cap unlock or gone gold for at least a month, your limits have been increased from 1 billion to 2 billion if you haven't purchased the cap unlock, it's been increased from 10 million to 15 million. The max listing on the exchange has gone from 750 million to 1.5 billion energy credits, and the account bank cap for everybody has been increased from 500 million to 1 billion. For most players, this won't affect their day-to-day gameplay, but it will allow some more high-ticket sales to happen through the safety of the exchange. For more details, we'll link to the patch notes and to the forum post explaining the details of the limit changes at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO320. I wanted to take a second and just explain this whole business about the energy credit cap unlock. So if you are a completely free-to-play player, your energy credits that you can amass is is capped at at 10 million currently, and that's going to go up to 15 million. Now, if you purchase a gold subscription, uh, even if you just do it for one month, then you can unlock that, and that goes. That's where you get up to the uh, two billion, or will be the two billion cap. 
It's active. It's live now. It's not coming. It's live. Oh, is it, it's live now. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, my mistake. So, uh, yeah. So, the, 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 the distinction between that is that for normal free-to-play players, your cap is going to be 15 million energy credits. If you have either purchased the unlock through the C-Store or if you have been gold for one month, which gives you that cap unlock, then you can get that 2 billion. And that makes a big difference, especially because I think what they're trying to do here is bring some of these really high ticket items off of the uh, quote unquote black market and into the game. Because some some of the really, really rare ships, their value goes beyond the limit that you can do on the exchange. And then that takes people offline to eBay or private exchange or whatever, which can be it's like rice after a, risky. Dark. Yeah, a it's risky, and and b that means that that Star Trek Online isn't getting the benefit of uh, uh, of that exchange. So go on. Well, what you see a lot of is people advertising in Zone Chat selling X ship for X amount of keys or whatever. And I don't think I think it's a lot harder to do now, but in the past you could have got stung very badly uh, but they've really improved the trade mechanic now you actually have to confirm that yes they have committed to this I have committed to this the trade is okay yeah, the, the trade mechanism for keys would have been fine and, and again technically that's still an in-game exchange and so probably is still fine within the terms of the TOS I really do think though that they like Ken was saying are trying to that, that sort of thing should really happen on the exchange yeah, and that's what the exchange is for. That's where they want it to be. Yeah, but yeah, there's you know there's a lot more wealth in game. That's a natural progression of the system, and uh, people naturally are going to start paying more and more for for the ships and the items that they really want. So, hopefully, they'll just keep that in the exchange now. Um, I also wanted to mention that they have tweaked the UI so that there should be more space for all those gigantic numbers. Now, all the pretty zeros. All the pretty zeros, uh, so yeah, you should see that as well. Well, speaking of ways of getting the most out of the game, it's time for Winter's Weekly Top Tip. In an effort to lend a hand to new players or even surprise the most veteran captains in Star Trek Online, here's my weekly top tip. This week I'm going to talk to you about earning fleet marks through the duty officer system. As many of you know, there are four ranks in the duty officer commendations. Rank 4 unlocks after you've earned 100,000 Commendation XP in a single Commendation. What you may not know is that you can continue to earn benefits and level up each Commendation up to its maximum of 150,000 XP. Now if you visit your fleet starbase and walk straight out of the transport room to the far side, down the ramp and into the room where the Officer of the Watch is, you will find a console on the right hand side of the doorway as you come in. This area is known as the Ops Center. This console can be used to file Commendation Reports, which basically turns in Commendation XP for Fleet Marks. So let's say we want to run a Commendation Report for Military. We would interact with the console and select Military Report. This will then open up the Duty Officer window and will take 10,000 of your Military Commendation XP and use it for this mission. Once the mission is complete, we will get either 75 fleet marks for a normal success or 100 marks for a critical success. Some things to note. You can never go below the 100,000 XP level. So if you have 109,999 XP and let's say military again, you will not be able to file a report for that commendation. 
This one's pretty obvious, but the best thing to do is to level up all your commendations to the maximum of 150,000 commendation XP and turning commendation reports for all 11 commendations during a bonus marks event. For more information, we will leave a link in the show notes at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO320. And finally, Captains, in Priority One Armada news... This coming Saturday, the 10th of June, the Priority One Armada is continuing its celebration of its fourth year anniversary by holding a special event called the Ryzen 500. This special ground race will obviously take place on Risa. First place is an NX Escort refit, a tier 6 ship. And second place will win $20 worth of Zen. In total, we have over 487 million energy credits worth of prizes to give away. Well under the new cap. So, Captains, there has never been a better time to join the Priority One Armada. Head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today. Well, that's it for this week's gaming news. Now let's chat with Cryptic Studios content designer Ryan Levitt about his work on Star Trek Online. Ryan was one of the designers on the recent featured episode Mirrors and Smoke, and also designed the war game scenarios Coruscant and Binary Circuit. He's also written a handful of story blogs over the years. For a content geek like me, this is a real treat. Enjoy. Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. So, Ryan, thank you very much for joining us on Priority One Podcast. How have you been? I've been wonderful. How have you been? I've been very good, actually. It's been very busy. Now, the the last time that we talked was at the Las Vegas convention last summer, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and um, you were pretty new at Star Trek Online then, weren't you? Yep. Uh, I was still just under a year. Wow, okay. So I wanted to um, just start off by reminiscing a little bit because we're actually now starting to look forward to the next convention and, you know, what people are going to expect. I wanted to get, you know, what was it like for you as a as a developer coming to the Star Trek convention? Um, you know, part of it's, you know, interacting with players, but also, like, do you guys geek out at the convention as much as, as we do? Um, I think so. I mean, um... When I was there, um, I remember going to help set up our booth and looking over to the left and seeing like the giant wall of triples. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> there's that one store, right? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it's it's things like that where you're just like, I am totally at a Star Trek convention. Yeah. Um, and it was also really cool going and meeting the different uh, you know actors who've been doing this for you know many many years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I when I started working here really the only trek i was really comfortable with was uh next generation because that was the one i watched the most of yeah um since then now i've watched everything (laughs) well yeah but it's part of your job description almost isn't it 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 is i mean technically you don't have to watch everything to to do this but Mm -hmm. it it really helps Mm -hmm. um knowing the context of everything really just makes it a lot easier to be able to jump in with something and be like oh yeah i know what we're talking yeah. Um, but yeah, so now I've actually, I, I have context for literally all of those people. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I kind of wish I was going this year because then I'd actually be able to do a lot more with it. But, yeah. um, you know, I'll just have to keep all that for next year. Yeah. Um, and by then I'll also watch Discovery. 
Well, now, um, would you have considered yourself a Star Trek fan before you started working for Star Trek Online? I would have considered myself a Star Trek fan, yeah. but I wouldn't have considered myself a Trek. Would you have? Would you have ever considered like going to a convention? Um, I mean, I probably wouldn't have gone to a Star Trek convention. I would have gone. Yeah, you know, I would have gone to science fiction conventions mm-hmm. uh, or you know science fiction and fantasy conventions. Yeah. Um, and you know, I would have been like, "Cool, there's Star Trek stuff going on," but it wouldn't have been like what I was going for. Yeah. Um, but but I feel like now that I've I've actually watched all the series and like I I have a much better appreciation for Trek. Yeah. Um, now I definitely go to to Star Trek conventions. I'm I'm glad that that's the answer that you gave. Not that oh, now that I've been working for Star Trek Online, I will never go to a convention ever again. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was. I really wish I was going this year. I had such a blast last year going. Um, like, I mean, the thing about it is, uh, people like the true Trekkies mm-hmm. are some of like the greatest people because yeah. they live and breathe the ideals that you know Gene Roddenberry came up with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that utopian future. Yeah is alive within these people so so getting to meet them is such a pleasure yeah largely speaking when you get a whole bunch of people in a room together that are all about sort of infinite diversity and infinite combinations it's kind of a pleasant place it really is yeah you know i as i've been in the industry now for about you know 10 just over 10 years now Mm -hmm. and um you know people always say you know be careful with forums because you're going to get a lot of vocal people and you know, you're get a lot of negativity <laughs> yeah and i mean that's and that's true everywhere you go uh-huh. but i will say one thing i've absolutely loved about the star trek forums is that you get such fascinating um political and economic and social discussion mm-hmm. um that comes out of it because again people take a look at it and they start comparing and contrasting you know the Star Trek universe and lore to the real world, and it's absolutely just fascinating to read. So, can you update us a little bit on what you personally have been up to since last summer? So we saw Agents of Yesterday has all come out. We did the anniversary event. Uh, most recently, we had the featured episode Mirrors and Smoke, which I believe you had a hand in, didn't you? Yep, uh, Mirrors and Smoke. Uh, I had worked on uh, along with uh, Donnie Versaja. Uh, he and I. Uh, we're, we're the two main uh, people on, on Mirrors and Smoke, as well as Core Salt and uh, Binary Circuit, the two uh, PvVP war game mm-hmm. uh, queues. Um, I had also uh, worked on the Arena Sompak. Mm-hmm. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to like, think of all the... I mean, we, we end up helping each other so much, it's hard to kind of delineate, like, whoa. What was I working on? What, what, when is this timeline anymore? It's, yeah. But uh, yeah, those are, those are the I think the four most recent things that I I worked on. Right. So when you're working on something, it's not like this is your project. You all kind of chip in a little bit, or one designer works on one part of uh, a queue or a mission, and you you work on a different part of it. Or is that well, you, basically so you, how it works? So usually you'll have like your 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 designer and your environment artist um, kind of being the the main pushers of of a piece of content um and then you know there's tons of other people like you know there's you know character arts ship art there are system designers like and they all have parts that that play into it um but then of course you know as as schedules change just due to the nature of the industry you know sometimes it'll be like oh we need you to just help with you know some support on this mission right right so yeah 
We actually had a, a question from the community from Twitter, and this handle I'm going to completely mangle, so I apologize. Um, it's at Memeranglout, maybe? So I apologize for that. Um, they've asked, what is the thought process in designing the new content? And, you know, me personally as well, I'd like to understand, like, when you start a project, how much information are you given and how much do you actually go, okay, so I know that they want me to get from point A to point B, I have to do all the stuff in the middle. So um, so before I even get called into it, we usually, like, there's usually a process of, of the, you know, the leads uh, and our writer uh Paul Reed, uh, and they they're figuring out what is the story we're trying to tell, and and they're you know they're they're looking both at like the macro story of you know what's the whole entire year's story mm -hmm. and even beyond that, um, and then you know what is this actual season's story going to be, right. um, and then and they figure out okay these are the sub stories we want to tell, um, and then they kind of make um, they, they make kind of a document for us uh, mm -hmm. of. You know, these are the main story points we need to make sure that your episode is going to to talk about. Yeah. Um, and and they explain that to us, and then uh, you know the content designer and the environment artist will kind of work together to then pitch back to them how we want to kind of move forward with it, mm -hmm. um, and what is how we want to tell that story. So can we apply this directly to Mirrors and Smoke? So give us an example of like, what kind of information did they give you? And then and then you took that and said, okay, so then in that case, we want to have the player um, do this. Can you give us an example of, 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 of what you got from Mirrors and Smoke and how you then turned that around? Sure. So first, you know, they told us uh, about the, you know, the Kintari um, and Lucari, like from way back when like mm -hmm. so bef you know before there was new kentar there was kentar uh you know they were all one big race um you know but there were different factions of it and you know the lucari were you know a lot more ecologically focused and eventually they were exiled um by the kentari mm -hmm. um and and they moved to the planet that we we met them at in uh, uh storm bound Sunrise, sunrise, sunrise. I can't remember which one, but yes, yeah, <laughs> one of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it was sunrise. Um, you know, so so I I had known their their backstory, and I knew that we were going to be discovering kind of this new planet mm -hmm. of uh, of the Kentari, um, and that they haven't really changed much. Right. And we, I knew that they were going to that that at some point or another, the Zenkethi were going to show up and cause trouble. Right. We were going to try to deal with it, uh, yeah. which you know helps connect this story to the rest of the story that we've been telling. Um, and then we were going to have a resolution that, you know, is at least somewhat hopeful for the Lucari and Kentari, but you know, not necessarily. Like, you know, we they're not necessarily buddy buddy, but things are at least in a better situation than when we got there. Right. Uh, you know, it's a very Starfleety type of story. Y yes, very much so. <laughs> you know, but so that was kind of what we were given. Um, mm -hmm. But we were able to then say, okay, well, we're picturing, you know, this sort of almost, you know, cyberpunk, uh, you know, Blade Runner-esque uh, city. Like, that was yeah. stuff that, you know, Donnie and I worked on together. Uh, and, and we had, we also had uh, our concept artist, you know, Hector Ortiz helping with that. And, you know, like, yeah, there's a bunch, you know, a bunch of minds went into that. And we started saying, okay, well, maybe there's an agricultural moon. And, you know, that's where all the food is. Right. So they're going to bomb that. And, and then you know we, we figured out that the the 
you know, the, the fact that there's, you know, two factions on the planet itself. So we could yeah. we could tell kind of a, a, a political story that is, you know, relevant to the world right now, because mm-hmm. that's what, you know, Star Trek is all about stories that are, are rel- relevant to like the times. So, you know, we wanted to try and say like, because, you know, there, there's been a lot of issues with, you know, very xenophobic fascist um, leaderships in in multiple countries you know mm-hmm. people people immediately when they saw they're like oh this is this is about uh you know trump and hillary but you know like there's a lot of countries that are actually having yeah. very similar issues like this um you know i've seen people d- discuss like the lucari and kentari like you know south korea and north korea yeah uh, we wanted to try and tell a relevant story yeah, I think that was really interesting, actually. The the feedback that I saw for Mirrors and Smoke, um, everyone had an opinion. Um, <laughs> they did, they did, really. And um, some people felt that it was um, very political, which I'm in support of because I think those are the best Trek stories, personally. But um, you as a team, when you're, when you're designing something like that and that you decide to go down that route for the, for the purposes of the story... Do you guys internally talk about, you know, how is that going to be received? Do we want to make that statement? Do we need to back it off? Do you guys talk about that kind of thing? Or is it is it left very much up to you guys as the content designers to, to direct where that story goes? Um, I mean, I, I think it's a bit of both. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, I will put forth various uh, things. And, and of course, you know, Paul will definitely come in and do some edits if he thinks that some things are coming in a little too strong. Like, you know, he can, he, he'll soften it. Um, but we have, like, you know, our leads are are playing the the mission a, a lot, yeah. Uh, and getting a kind of like because, yeah, you know, I mean, like, a lot of them have a, a lot of experience with with the players, so they know what the players generally feel. Yeah, I mean, not always, but but generally. Yeah. Um, and so you know, they they definitely do try and take an objective approach at it and say, okay, like, is this going to cause a problem? Mm-hmm. You know, and and. And there have been times where you know I, I, I've written something, and they're like, you know what, we know what you were, we, we know what you were thinking. Yeah. Um, this is we don't think the players are going to look at it the same way. Let's mm-hmm. let's rewrite this part. And okay. and and it's totally you know it it, it makes sense. So we, we do it. Yeah, it sounds like that whole process of designing a story mission like that sounds very collaborative between a bunch of different teams. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think by the time it comes out. Mm-hmm. like most of the team feels like some some degree of ownership over it. Okay, so uh, to move on to something different, uh, we'll talk about war games. And we think of war games as kind of a, a new system, really. What does a content designer, you know, what part do they play in the development of something like that? Um, so, I mean, so the overall system, um, that was something that was kind of decided above my pay level uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you know they, they look at they look at the player base of, of Star Trek and you know there are people who definitely want PvP but there's a lot of people who also don't want anything to do with PvP mm-hmm. um, so we're trying you know we want to come up with something that, that appeals to both of those types of players um, and, and we figured that the you know the competitive PvE aspect is actually something that you know you can still prove that you are better than so and so um, but so and so isn't just getting murdered over and over again by you. And it's not, you know, not fun for them. Yeah. Um, so you know, so that was kind of all decided on high uh, because you know they really do try to listen to. We all try to listen to our fans, but then you know, just like with any other queue, 
um, they say, okay, so here's the type of scenario we want to do. We want to do a scenario where you know you have you have two teams. They're trying to they're racing to an objective, and whoever destroys it first uh, wins. And you know they're they're both going to the same objective, so there will be some fighting uh, at the end. That was kind of what I was that was what I was told with uh, right. assault. Right. And then you know I I was like, okay, first off, it'd be kind of cool if it looked a bit like you know that that moment from. Uh, you know, Return of the Jedi of them kind of entering the center of the Death Star. So that was kind of an idea I had. So and that's what. So instead of being now something like two straight lines, and just going to one room, now it was you know coming to a big round room, and it's like okay, well, how do we want to space things? And that was how it kind of turned into like moving around the outside of the round room, mm-hmm. uh, and that was how that all kind of evolved. Um, and then you know we were talking about okay, well, how do we slow the other te- like how do we slow the two teams down? Uh, so it's not just whoever has the fastest ships win. Um, so it was like, okay, we're, we're going to probably have some puzzles, you know, the, the puzzles will control doors. So, you know, the teams do need to work together and it's kind of really whatever, whichever team is, is being most cohesive is going to progress faster. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, how do we want to like have one team influence the other team? Like how do you know, how do we have catch up mechanics? So, so for example, with core assault, um, you know, you're choosing the defenses of your core. Um, and I mean, I don't know how much. The players are, are taking advantage of it or not, but like you know, if you can see through the the windows and see like you know, oh, like that that team's you like you know, especially on like the, the third room. If you're the if you're you're behind, uh, you're in your third room. They've already entered the center. And you're like, oh, they're using a whole bunch of uh, you know uh, of exotic weapon uh, attacks. Let's ramp up the exotic defense mm-hmm. of our our core. Now we've slowed them down a bit. Right. You know things like that. Also. You know, putting the core on the other team's side so that um, while you're fighting it, the other team is coming up behind you. Yeah. Like these are all things that were to try and help kind of balance things out and give the you know the team that was a little bit slower in the beginning a bit of a chance to catch up. I just realized who you are. You're that guy from the Hunger Games. You know, with the crazy beard who designs like the Hunger Games. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's, he, he was a game designer. <laughs> yeah, it's basically that. That's that's um that's crazy because. You know, we we think of it as like here's this new thing that happens, but there's so much thought and um, it's it's almost storytelling that goes into the war game scenarios. Though I'm not sure if you just vilified me by saying that I'm one of the uh, game designers from the Hunger Games. No, no, no. I mean that in the highest <laughs> highest possible praise. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, a lot of, we are constantly trying to think of, of stuff like that, and, and and we do lots and lots of play tests to try and and. and and catch all the issues that are going to happen. And of course, you know, there's so many ships and so many loadouts and so many ways that the players are going to use them that mm-hmm. we just, you know, we miss things and, and weird stuff happens. Um, but no, we really do try to think of how the players are going to use our content uh, and try and create a good experience for them. And are we going to see, we're going to see new more games in the future. That's like an ongoing project, isn't it? I will neither con- Arm nor deny anything that is in the future. Okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> well, I, I wanted to change tack a little bit because um, I have I have a little pet topic that I absolutely love, uh, and that's the story blogs. And I know that you've written a few of the story blogs, and I was hoping that you could give us a little bit of an insight into that process because I think they're really sort of an unsung hero of the story that's going on in Star Trek Online. So for any of our listeners who haven't been keeping up with the story blogs that come out sort of between episodes, you need to go and read them because they're very, very good. And I'm curious about what the process is on writing those. So is is it that somebody comes to 
one of you guys that says, okay, well, we need we need a couple of story blogs in between X mission and Y mission. Can you pitch us some stuff, or or is it more like we know what the story is, we just need you to write it, or how, how does that work? So, well, um, we usually have two types of story blogs. You know, we have the blogs that are kind of leading up into an episode that are just going to be like, you know, we're, we're introducing the episode with some story, mm-hmm. or we'll have some that are just, you know, we need we need to keep the story going. Um, for example, like the um, the Nicole, uh assassination stuff that was going on during, uh, you know, yes. the, the agents of yesterday with Hikaru um, Sulu's ancestor or whatever it was. Yeah. That was cool. That was that was one of yours, wasn't it? That that was one of mine. Yeah. Uh, Steel and Karma. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like so, you know, so that we were like, okay, you know, we, we want to keep telling the story, but there's mm-hmm. only so many stories that we can turn into episodes. Yes. So you know, kind of these are the side stories, and 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 what will happen with those types of stories is they'll say, okay, so we need we need about four or five stories, and we'll have a brainstorm of like, you know, what are the stories that we can tell, and then once we've kind of come up with those, then you know, we each kind of like claim the one that we think we'd, we'd be able to do the most justice to okay uh and and we and we write it um and then of course you know uh, again paul uh helps a lot with the editing process mm-hmm. um in fact everything i've written he's made far more eloquent because i'm i'm an okay writer <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah he, like, he makes everything i say sound way better um yeah so that's that's kind of how it is is we we, we kind of as a group figure out what are the interesting stories we want to tell. Um, for example, with uh, K-13, you know, we were like, okay, well, we should have one story from like, that is how things are going from the uh, Starfleet officers. Yep. You know, one story that's pertaining to the, you know, the Klingon guys. And then of course, one, you know, one story pertaining to like the, the modern era people who are interacting with them. Mm-hmm. And then we, we kind of divvied them up. And I was like, oh, I want to tell the story of like, you know, the, the Starfleet guys who are still stuck in their racist ways against the Klingons because they've been fighting wars against them for as long as they can remember. And, and of course, you know, we, we actually tried to line up the story between them and the Klingons because, you know, both teams were working to, to stop a meteor from hitting the station um, and we're both planning on betraying the other side. Right. You know, and it all worked out in the end. But, you know, like we, we, we will try to work out things like that together so that way we can tell the most cohesive story we can. Now, I'm assuming because when I read these story blogs, a lot of the times they seem very like there's lots of hints in there. Am, am I, would I be correct to assume that you guys you guys know what is going to happen next? So part of the role of these blogs is to kind of a hint at what's to come and kind of draw people in and, and keep them engaged with the story. Some of the story blogs are definitely trying to kind of help lead the story along from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Um, but other stories are just trying to kind of fill out everything. You know, it would, you know for example, Fusion, which you know, just came out uh, a, a few weeks ago, um, you know, that was about what happens now that, you know, between the Kantari and Lucari. You know, we can't just leave it in the air that, you know, okay, well, we've, we've started political, like, you know, peace talks and mm-hmm. bye. Um, you know, we want we wanted to to add a little more more to that story. Yeah. So this was the one that was following on from mirrors and smoke and talking about what happens to the to the I think it was the prime minister after all that happens. And, and it was both sides. Yeah. It was, it was it was kind of both sides' take on it. You know, you have you have the Lucari who are hailing you know uh, Kumarki as this hero who's you know oh my God you found our 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 predecessors and you've saved their lives. You know, you're kind of you know, a badass, and and then you have the uh, you know the Kintari who are like, 
you're you're becoming allies with our our ancient enemies like yeah. what what are you doing yeah you know and it's it's you know we were trying to show the two sides of the of, of this this conversation mm-hmm. now this the the latest one that's just come out um in the last couple of days as we record this actually um is not one that you have done but it's got me super excited I, I have to admit. So this is the the fortunes of war and peace, um, mm-hmm. where it's actually bringing back Amory or Amory. I'm not sure how to pronounce her name from the TNG episode Unification, which we actually talked about last week. Um, and I think that's so cool that you're able to bring these characters in mm-hmm. <laughs> that exist in canon and then and kind of give them a life of their own, even though you know they might not make it into the game. Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. Uh, we were like, you know, we. I remember uh, when we were doing again the K thirteen stuff. Like we were excited to bring in Esri, you know, just because it made sense for her to be there. So mm-hmm. let's let's use her. You know, it's it's one of the nice things about working with such a fleshed out IP and having a good working relationship with the IP holders is mm-hmm. that you know they trust us not to abuse their characters. Yeah, yeah, which is um, it adds an extra dimension to to the story blogs and then also into the story as well. Um, I, I had a question actually, something that I've been asking for a long time. Maybe one for you to take back to work. Please, please, can we get these story blogs in a repository somewhere? <laughs> but, no, I'm serious. Like, sure, you should just be able to put like a console and Earth space dog because really, you know, I, they kind of came into my consciousness somewhere on, around. I want to say the middle of the Iconian War. I started to really take notice of mm-hmm. of the story blogs because they were just so engaging and everything. Um, it's really hard to go back. I'd like to be able to go back and read through them, and it's quite difficult mm-hmm. to do that on the blog. So get someone on that. Uh, I will. I will. <laughs> I will bring it up, and, and uh, we'll we'll see what what can happen. It would be brilliant to be able to have that as part of the in-game lore. Um, to be able to refer back to, I would love to see that. I mean, I think part of the the pushback that we've had on doing it is just that some of these stories it doesn't make sense for them to be recorded anywhere. So That's it's like, true. how do how do we do it? Because we do try not to like we, we try not to do things that are going to completely break the lore of our game. Yes. Um, yeah. So so yeah, if we can come up with a good way to do it that makes sense, yeah, you know, we'll probably try to do it. It's just a matter of making it like making it work. Yeah, and, and you raise a good point, actually, that I hadn't thought about, was because, you know, you've had stuff that takes place on the bridges of not cool ships and things like that that you would not have access to at, you know, Starfleet Academy, for instance. <sighs> okay, fine, I get it. But, but I will, but I, will <laughs> I, but I promise I will bring it up. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, uh, I would heavily encourage any listeners who have not read up on these to, to go to... Uh, the Star Trek Online website and find the latest story blog and you'll know what I'm talking about and um, hopefully enjoy it. And I do believe there is a, at least a somewhat of a repository uh, on STO Wiki uh, pointing out uh, various uh, back issues. Okay, yeah, and I'll, I'll have a look at that. And if I can find that, I'll, I'll put a link to that in our show notes for our listeners as well. So, um, so we're actually coming up um, pretty much to the end of our interview. Uh, before we sign off, have, is there anything that you wanted to tell us about or talk to us about uh, before we go? I mean, I'm I'm definitely really excited about things that are going to be coming up, obviously, until they're announced. I can't say anything. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, definitely, uh, you know, keep looking forward to to our, our next few seasons. Like, there's, there's a bunch of really exciting stuff that's coming up. Well, so we, um, 
Yeah, well, thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out. And um, it's been really it's been really fun and enlightening. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having me. I love doing this stuff. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. And a big thanks to Ryan Levitt for joining us on this episode of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Now, let's open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 319's first community question was, if you could have a holiday to any location from Star Trek, where would it be? From Twitter, iCandy says, Casperia Prime, the vacation capital of the Horvian Cluster. Wait, did nobody answer what they would bring back for us? Because James Sillett wrote on Facebook, Omicron Delta, the original series episode Shore Leave. I'd let my imagination go wild. All right, all right. Isn't that the one where they all where they all almost kill each other? Because like, is it Sulu finds a, a pistol and like they're dueling and you things like that? Of, yeah, I think yeah. Yikes. Yeah, yeah. and and Doctor McCoy has the Playboy bunnies. That's right, yeah. From Facebook, Jerry Hillman says, I hear Omicron SETI 3 is nice this time of year. You can bathe in the Berthold rays while taking in the plant life. Any planet that can make a Vulcan smile is okay in my book. I was going to say, that's the episode everybody gets high off the plant life, right? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, this side of paradise, isn't it? Do you know why I'm actually surprised? Nobody mentioned the Q Continuum, because that was the first thing that popped into my head. Why would anybody want to chill at a broken down gas station in the middle of the desert? It's the Q continuum. You can make it whatever you want. If you're Q. If you're Q. Yeah. If you're Q. If you're Q. Yeah. Ask them to make you yeah. Q. I, Are you hiding something from us? In episode 319's second community question, what canon with one N ship would you like to see wing its way into Star Trek Online? We asked for you to be obscure. Well, uh, Josh Truax on Facebook uh, has a really good suggestion, actually. A tier six Franklin Perhaps a pilot science vessel. Now, I'm not sure if, if that would kind of make its way in, but, you know, we've had the the uh, Kelvin timeline uh, enterprise, mm-hmm. so maybe. Maybe. Yeah. From Twitter, Arami says the NSEA protector <laughs> from Galaxy <laughs> Quest. Yeah, thumbs up on that one. Yes. Or the star car from The Last Starfighter. Now, hold on a second, because people people seem to really love the Orville. Would you would you have the Oh, Orville my the God, game? the Orville. Yes. I would, yes. Really? Call Seth MacFarlane, total Star Trek geek. I'm sure something can be worked out, even though it's Fox. That's true. From Facebook, Jeff Vaughn wrote in, Excalibur Command and Control Ship. I don't know the Excalibur. I don't either. The Excalibur is the, uh, there's several Excaliburs. One of them, I think, is a Connie variant. It's like the modernized Connie. It's like the one that's on the cover of the original Star Trek Online box. The one that's like more of a stylized Constitution class. Then there's the Excalibur in... In the books, uh, there's a series of books that has the Excalibur. That's uh, where Commander Shelby's the first officer, and it's a, just it's a book series. And that's a and that's like a uh, that's like a Enterprise C Ambassador class. Yeah, an Ambassador class. So there's that. Um, and then in Star Trek, the the uh, Starfleet Command series, there was a fan ship called the Excalibur that was very popular. It was a like a big a big super large cruiser that I've seen done a couple of different ways. So there's lots. Of, going to need you to be a little more specific. <laughs> but you were obscure. That was good. You did go for obscure there. We like that. Um, I just want to uh, take a step backwards, actually. So Josh Truax is actually watching us as we're recording live on Facebook, and he's clarified, technically the Franklin is prime, 
Yeah. It's from the 22nd century before the timelines diverge. So, yes, you're correct. So, yeah, sure, why not? Throw it in there. From Twitter, Ken from Chicago says, Whatever Federation ship was featured in Star Trek Discovery's trailer? Was that the Shenzo? Yes, the Shenzo. No, it's been pretty much... I think every outlet has suggested that we do not see the Discovery at all in the trailer, but only the Shenzo. From Twitter, at STO Shane says, I think I'd say the Maquis Raider, the Sonar ships, and maybe this one from Enterprise. And then he posted a picture. Yeah, that's, he said that maybe this one from Enterprise. Yep. That might be the 22nd century Ilachi ship. Well, Luke Critter says that it's not been identified and the style was reminiscent of the Ilachi, though. Maybe that's why I thought it was the Ilachi ship. It's a possibility, yeah. Now, Captains, in response to our appearance on the supplemental episode of Mission Log, at Matt Lee tweeted, If Ken and John like your show, then that's good enough for me. I love Mission Log and will certainly add your show to my podcast list. Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure having you join us each and every week. Well, we also got a couple of really great iTunes reviews this week. So the first one is from Josie Josio from Canada. Great coverage of the latest ST news. You're missing out if you aren't watching their Thursday night live recordings. Definitely one of the best ST podcasts out there. And thank you very much. Thank you, Jocelyn. And Psyche1701 from the UK says, An excellent podcast, funny and entertaining and very informative, both for Star Trek Online and the Star Trek world in general. Great host, too. Clearly a lot of work goes into making this podcast a professional production. (laughs) And as a listener, I want everyone involved to know the hard work is appreciated. I love Priority One. (laughs) And lastly, I want to give a quick shout out to IRobNJ via Twitter for a wonderful message congratulating us on our appearance on Engage. Thank you for your note, Rob. I really appreciate it. So does Jake. So, Captains, again, we want to encourage you to leave us a comment on iTunes. Leave us that review. We very much appreciate it. Well, that wraps up episode 320 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Women at Warp, go to podcasts.roddenberry.com. But we can't forget to send a special thanks to our Patreon supporters, Navy Boat Slew, David S., Lee Malian, and Admiral. Now, before we go, here's a reminder of what our community question was for this week. What's your favorite part of the Star Trek Online summer event on Ryza? Captains, you know we love hearing from you from week to week, so leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on Facebook, via Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or tweet us at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Monday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Thursday nights at around 11pm Eastern. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, you can join us in Star Trek Online in the Priority One Armada. If you're interested, just head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com, covering the world of space sims, including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many more. 
you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. A very special thanks once again to Ryan Levitt, content designer for Star Trek Online. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker and Jake Morgan, with support from Midnight Shadow 7 of Sweet Media. Speaking of Jake Morgan, a big thanks to him for spearheading all of our social media endeavors and our upcoming skits. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to associate producer, Navy Boat Slew. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. I'm Elijah. <coughs> Sorry. Sorry. Oh, is the, so In Trek the movie reported that the official Star Trek magazine reported that. My cousin told me yes. that her sister said that his brother-in-law <laughs> is totally going to be on the show. <laughs> that was really good, Tony. That was really good. You know, this podcast really is like a thread and gossip column. I mean, if you really want, if you want to get right down to it, well, I don't think no, that's dude, right at all. We're a totally authoritative news. We're source. totally authoritative news. Source. <laughs> Respect my authority. If Ken and John like your show, sure. If your Ken show. and like your show, if Ken and John like your show. Then that's a good. Then th- that's a good enough for me. <laughs> then like your show. Sure, then that's a good enough for me. <laughs> Spacko, I'm Spacko. Spacko. That's what, that's a Star Trek. <laughs> that's a Star Trek. <laughs> oh, we lost it. Oh, the, the the wheels have come off at this. This point. episode is just like the biggest cluster <laughs> ever. <laughs> Uh, that's the Star Trek. <laughs> 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 <laughs>